0: Hello, and welcome to Found TechCrunch's podcast, where we bring you the stories behind the startups from the founders themselves. And I am joined today, as always, by the fabulous
1: Dominic Midori-Davis.
0: Hey, Dom, how's it going?
1: Good. I'm down in sunny Florida. Well, actually, it looks like it's going to rain, but honestly, I mean sunny for the most part. Oh, that sounds nice. Those of us up here in the Northeast are
0: just getting killed by the pollen right now. Also, just adding to the lovely week I'm having, listeners, if you hear some construction noises, I've got some lovely men working in the yard next door who are just throwing metal rods around. So apologies in advance. But hopefully it doesn't take too much away from today's show, because today we're talking to Web Sun, He's the co-founder of Komodo Health, which is a company that creates a comprehensive view of the U.S. healthcare system by using both patient feedback and clinical expertise. And here's our conversation with Webb. Hey Webb, how's it going?
2: Hello, Becca. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, thanks for coming on. I'm really excited to dive into your company today. I mean, just going off of the name, I'm already intrigued. I randomly had a roommate in college who was really obsessed with Komodo Dragons, never really understood it, but definitely thought about her seeing the name (laughs) of the company. Wonderful. Well, perfect. Well, what probably makes the most sense to get started here is tell us what Komodo Health is and what you guys are trying to do. Oh, it's
2: my pleasure. So Komodo Health is a healthcare technology company, and we're creating the new standard for real-world data and analytics through our platform, which enables real-time, actionable insights into the treatment, diagnoses, costs, and outcomes for hundreds of millions of patients. And our partners engage us to achieve better outcomes faster by using our platform capabilities, our underlying healthcare map, and all of the kind of data and insights-infused applications that we've built atop all of the the entirety of the stack.
1: Mhm.
0: And sort of diving a little further into that. Maybe if you want to kind of walk us through what the problem is that Komodo Health is solving and sort of like how this is a solution to that problem.
2: Absolutely. Happy to do it. And I'll start by saying healthcare is renowned to be one of the most challenging sectors to work in. It's one of the most siloed. It's a part of the economy that's very low trust, if you will. Mm. And so the problem that we started with was how do you leverage all of these emerging technology capabilities? You know, today, everybody's talking about AI, but even before that, there was advanced analytics, predictive analytics. How do you leverage all of that when you don't have an understanding of what's happening across the entirety of the healthcare system? And so my co-founder, Dr. Arif Nithu, and I started Komodo with the mission to reduce the global burden of disease. And when we were looking at that North Star, we said, you know, one of the challenges that anyone interested in patient costs and outcomes has to address is first starting with trying to get an understanding of what is happening to different patient populations across all these different diseases. And so we started off with what we call the full stack thesis. It's bringing to bear an understanding of everything. We call it ground truth. And we've trademarked the healthcare map. It's us tracking the longitudinal patient journeys of hundreds of millions of patients across every encounter with the healthcare system. Mm. So, Becca, think about it. When you go to your primary care physician, there's a lot of things that your primary care physician will say, Hey, you know, you're too high stressed, you know, you're doing too many of these podcasts. You know, you need to take it easy.
0: Ain't that the truth?
2: (laughs) Right. (laughs) You need to take it easy. That information is associated with you when you go to CVS and you fill scripts that information is attributed to you when you get sent to you know your local hospital system for a stress test all of that information is attributed to you we've taken that kind of approach done it at scale across hundreds of millions of patients We've de-identified all of those patients, but what that allows us to do is better understand what's happening to patients, which allows us to provide better recommendations and insights around disease, how to intervene and better manage disease, and how to help achieve our mission of reducing disease burden.
1: And when you're dealing with all this data that is coming in, I'm just really interested how you, because you're also using AI and stuff, how do you kind of deal with bias within the AI, you know, algorithms and stuff in terms of making recommendations and taking in this data? Um, How do you handle that?
2: I think, first of all, I'll say everyone wants to talk about AI today. And I think the potential for AI in healthcare is very exciting. But at the same time, patient outcomes need to be the first and foremost priority because if done incorrectly, there can be a very real human toll as it relates to bad insights, bad recommendations. And so when we think about it, high fidelity, reliable data and a better understanding, as I alluded to earlier, around what's happening in terms of the ground truth of what's happening to patients in the healthcare system is really fundamental to the industry's ability to capitalize on the AI and technology opportunity. And I'll give you an example. One of our data leads recently asked Chat GPT for information on Montelukast and got a really impressive response. And now if you were naive to healthcare and you just said, hey, I just want to you know, get some information here you would say, oh, this is fantastic. This is really insightful. This will guide and inform how I manage these patients. However, what ChatGPT failed to do was include the drug's black box warning and all of the adverse events associated with that specific therapy. Hmm. This only was surfaced when our data lead prompted ChatGPT to ask for those specific insights. And so that's one specific example where you know, you have to kind of evolve the way you're thinking, be, you know, really thorough in what you're asking of chat GPT in this example, or how you're applying AI in other examples in order to get the most out of these technology advances. I, I would just say we see huge potential for data and technologies like AI to improve disparities, to address disparities in healthcare delivery, address gaps in healthcare and research. However, if AI or advanced algorithms are being built Atop flawed or incomplete data? As an example, if you were to only use data from commercial insurance companies, which tend to skew healthier and wealthier, the insights you would be uncovering and the recommendations you'd be providing to your partners would be massively biased to your exact comment.
0: Mm And sort of taking a step back from that for a second, this obviously Komodo wasn't your first foray into the healthcare space by any means. You came from quite a nice resume and a nice career in the space prior to that. So, curious, what did the journey? look like where you decided this is the problem worth focusing on and not only focusing on so much so that you're launching your own company?
2: Wonderful. I'll start by saying I kind of generally categorize my career into three different eras. Uh, The first 10 years, I started off as a cancer researcher. I worked in drug discovery. So I was in the labs in both academia and it was as well as industry. And it was very exciting to kind of see how things you're studying in college you know molecular biology biochemistry translate into the way you're identifying and prioritizing receptors to essentially target new innovative therapies against those specific receptors I then transitioned over to the sales and marketing, i.e. pharma commercialization side of the house for the rest of that first 10 years. And it really gave me a broad perspective into both ends of the spectrum, all the way from the various earliest beginnings of, you know, how do you think about the right targets? How do you identify the right molecules all the way through to then how do you bring those innovative therapies to market? Mm -hmm. The second part of my career was all around building. So it was kind of my first foray into being an entrepreneur, but it was also in management consulting. And so I had an opportunity to join a boutique healthcare specific consultancy focused on healthcare and life sciences. I joined them as Consultant 16. Mm. And over the next few years, we built it up to over 300 plus team members, largely self funded before we were acquired. And I think what that gave me an opportunity to do was work across large healthcare enterprises, whether it was pharma, whether it was payers, whether it was PBMs. You get a chance to touch all these different key stakeholders across the healthcare system and better understand their needs and their pain points, and how they answer questions around how do you define risk in a given patient population? How do you identify the commercial opportunity for a brand new therapy that's being launched into the market? But even as I was going through that, what I realized was in both the first and second legs of my career, there was always this opportunity to better capitalize on the underlying data and really seeing the technology evolution in terms of cloud, in terms of advanced compute, all coming to bear. I said, you know, the next leg of my career, I really want to take it in healthcare, in health tech, into this opportunity of how do you better impact the healthcare system? How do you better help patients get to better outcomes at scale and how do you capitalize on all of this emerging tech and all of these emerging software capabilities in order to essentially productize insights and productize recommendations at scale to support that kind of vision and that kind of opportunity and that was the inspiration for RF and myself co-founding Komodo Health together back in 2014.
0: And something I'm always curious about talking to companies is, obviously, you guys have been around now for almost a decade, and you are working with the plan that you guys have now. And I'm curious, was this approach sort of the first one that you came up with? Or was there some trial and error of sort of like, what would be the best way to build this type of company?
2: That's a great question. I'll start by saying, There's a lot of disadvantages to being a consultant. You know, you get brought in, you look at some problems, you provide some recommendations and you walk away. One of the pros of being a consultant for both RF and myself, he was a leader in the healthcare practice at McKinsey. One of the pros are you get a chance to see all of the biggest problems that your clients are facing. And so to that exact question, we had an opportunity to kind of say, what are the challenges that large entities are facing when trying to better understand patient costs and outcomes and what are different approaches that could be taken to address that. We looked at all of the different kinds of projects. That we had worked on over the course of our careers we looked at all of the different kinds of problems and we were looking for commonalities across all the different stakeholders that we were working with mm. and the commonalities largely centered around the fact that a lot of people just didn't understand or going back to the earlier question had very limited sets of data and insights around very limited populations and so we said okay First of all, if you could create the motivation, the incentive, the WIFM for different parts of the ecosystem to share data into one specific partner, that would create the opportunity to have a better understanding of kind of ground truth in the healthcare system. Now, the second part of that was you really had to believe that you could productize insights and productize recommendations and really create platform capabilities so that developers and engineers could essentially automate. And productize their insights and recommendations and capabilities against that existing inference. So that was really the inspiration for us to take that, you know, what we've now called the full stack approach data through platform, through analytics, APIs, all the way through workflow applications and start engineering solutions from the ground up that already had, you know, insights and data and recommendations already infused into the end products for all these different audiences that were interested in patient cost and outcomes. And that was really the inspiration for us putting our heads together and co-founding Komodo Health.
1: Mm -hmm. What are some of the challenges that you have faced getting data sets, especially with like, you know, limited data sets in an industry like healthcare?
2: Yep. One of the big challenges when you think about healthcare is just going back to what I was just sharing. What is the motivation? What is the WIFM? What is the incentive for people to bring together data in service of the greater good. I'll give you a very specific example here. When you look at what happened with the pandemic, with COVID, it was incredibly powerful to us to see what can, the art of the possible, when you look at all of these key stakeholders across healthcare, whether it be pharmacos working on these vaccines, whether it be different payers that were now sharing information around what was happening to COVID patients, whether it would be policymakers kind of serving as a behind-the-scenes driving force in saying, hey, we need better real-time infra and insights so that we can track the pandemic, intervene with the pandemic, launch these new therapeutics to address the pandemic. It really showed the art of the possible in terms of what we can do when we bring key stakeholders together from all these different audiences in service of the common good. Now, I'm really excited to share, you know, Komodo Health was selected as one of the partners for President Biden's relaunch of the Cancer Moonshot Initiative. And if you go back to what we're trying to solve for here, what we're trying to solve for is how can we better address all of these different cancer types? How can we better intervene? And it starts with an appreciation that we have to work together. We have to start sharing more data. We have to be willing to share our own data. You know, I'm a patient, do I consent to sharing my data? with all these different stakeholders, as long as it's de-identified, which for me is, you know, I'm very willing to do so. And then as we do that, bringing together the policymakers, the therapeutic innovators, in order to say there's all these different cancer types, how do we prioritize them based on patient unmet need, based on cost to the healthcare system, and how do we work together so that when new therapies are available, they're getting to the right patients at the right times through the right providers, et
0: cetera. Mm -hmm. And your example with COVID is really interesting. So I'm curious what it was like prior to that. Did you guys receive pushback trying to get some of this information from certain groups or did it seem like you were able to get a good amount of people to kind of buy in on this notion of the more data we have, it's better for everyone?
2: Yeah. I think one of the things here is data has always been available. Right? Whether you license it, whether you acquire it by some, you know, by some trade exchange of value, data has always been available. I think what we're seeing in 2023 and beyond is just ever increasing availability, ever increasing kind of accessibility, ever increasing liquidity as it relates to data. I mean, right now. I'm looking at my Apple Watch, I'm looking at my Whoop band, and there's all this information that I'm tracking on myself, right? And you see Apple Health working on their initiatives to launch these different partnerships. I think what's been really exciting is just having so many different parts of the healthcare ecosystem realizing what's possible if we bring together kind of traditional claims, pair it with genomics data, add on EHR and EMR data you know layer in additional social determinants of health data you know extend that to wearables it's just incredibly exciting to think about all of the different use cases that can be addressed when we're bringing together more and more insights around what's happening to patients across their individual journeys and then analyzing that revealing it at scale
1: what was it kind of like running a company, like a healthcare company specifically, like this during the pandemic when the whole industry was kind of up in arms and everything was moving so fast and everything was just so wild? <laughs> what was it like? And also, how did you personally handle running a company like this, you know, as a founder, as a person, you know, like, how was how this on you?
2: Absolutely. <laughs> I guess I'll look at this through a couple lenses, operationally, culturally, personally. I'll start with operationally. You know, you think about when you think about the pandemic, you think about social unrest, you think about, you know, the divisive politics that have continued to be an issue across the U.S. And I'll just say operationally, it was really interesting to lead a company through all of those challenges and continue to lead a company through all of those challenges. And I'll just give you an example. Before the pandemic, our company was 85 percent aligned to one of our two hubs we've been bicoastal since day one so we had 85% of our dragons as we call them uh, working out of San Francisco and New York every single day and the remaining 15% were largely distributed very closely aligned to key customers key accounts things like that now imagine the pandemic affecting your company you're doing distributed hiring we acquired two different companies during that stretch and now in 2023 I'm looking at it and I'm saying wow, we have 40% of our company now aligned to San Francisco and New York, and we have dragons in over 40 different states, dragons distributed across Europe. So operationally, it becomes the challenge of how do you communicate strategy? How do you align on how you're going to execute on strategy? How do you ensure that dragons are engaged and understand how their day-to-day ties into your mission and strategy operationally, that becomes incredibly challenging. And so we had to work through all of the new norms. You know, how do you achieve the objectives on Zoom meetings, you know, on virtual brainstorming sessions, everyone always says, it's easy to do things like working on your independent, discrete projects by yourself. But when you're in a distributed environment, how do you do things like brainstorming, doing your blue sky sessions? That became very challenging operationally. Culturally, I will say it had a massive impact on us. If you can imagine you have a fast-growing, incredibly successful hyper-growth startup that has this really powerful mission to reduce disease burden. And everyone's in the office and feeling it. You can grab anybody at any time and say, hey, I was thinking about you know whether or not we should do A, B, or C. To go from that to everyone sitting at home, looking at what's happening across the country, managing their own personal anxieties and working from home when kids are being educated at home, I would say culturally, that was something we had to work very hard at in terms of how do you keep dragons engaged? How do you keep them engaged and productive and focused when all of a sudden people were very, very stressed out both professionally and personally? And so to that last comment, you know, personally, I'm married, I have three little children, they're now nine, six, and two. And I think about that stretch of, you know, one to two to three plus years, where, you know, it was a some combination of being homeschooled and, you know, trying to figure out how do you navigate all of the challenges associated with the pandemic? That was a very stressful time personally. And so that's why all of our leaders, many of our exec team members have children or little children or both. So, you know, we we had to approach all of those challenges with a very high degree of empathy in order to help ourselves and help our team get through a very challenging stretch for everybody and for Komodo Health as well.
1: Yeah, I can only imagine. Well, we all, you know, that time period was so... <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes, <laughs> Wah wow is the right word. <laughs> yeah,
1: I know, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> and now we're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, we'll get into what motivated Webb to become an entrepreneur and how the Komodo team navigated multiple rounds of layoffs. Stay tuned.
1: But I'm really, I'm also really interested in terms of because, you know, you're very aware of all of the inequities already within health. Was there something that, you know, you realized, or maybe you didn't realize before the pandemic that you realized after where you're like, oh my gosh, this situation is worse than I thought, or, you know, there's this inequity or this injustice within the system that I didn't realize before and now I do. Is there something new that came out for you?
2: I mean, I think one of the things that you hear very consistently is, you know, I heard this from friends, other co-founders and CEOs. Um, One of the things that they always said was, return to office is something that, you know, male executives are massively in support of. And when you think about that statement, you're like, wow, that's a really powerful statement because until you step back and think about that and contextualize what families are trying to deal with and what other working parents are trying to deal with, it's very hard to kind of step away and say, oh, I have the privilege of being able to say, hey, you know, when and how can we help the team be more productive, be more engaged, be more focused, while also needing to simultaneously appreciate that not everyone has the you know privilege to say, "Do I have support from a childcare point of view? Do I have my children in a school that's going to be able to get them back on campus early in the pandemic?" These are the kinds of things that you don't really appreciate, And so there's kind of personal appreciation for what people had to navigate. And then obviously having empathy for that. And then professionally, I think one of the things that really inspired our dragons is, if you think about it, we have an opportunity. We also talked about it as almost a moral obligation to spotlight how the pandemic was impacting you know underrepresented groups impacting or accelerating disparities in care delivery and so all of a sudden it was really nice to see this it was kind of a grassroots effort but so many of our dragons started like as an example we have a, we have a Black Dragons Affinity Group. And one of the initiatives they started doing was researching inequities in the healthcare system through the pandemic across different disease areas, across disease areas ranging from diabetes all the way through to therapeutic oncology, and seeing the decrease in testing rates, seeing the continued exacerbation of delays in receiving treatment. And all of a sudden you see that And it was really inspiring to see all of our different dragons kind of finding ways to live our mission through our own work and through our own technology solutions and capabilities. That, for me, was really inspiring. And we started celebrating internally and publicly a lot of the innovative research and work that our team members were doing, essentially through their own inspired efforts and passion for the topics at hand.
0: Mm -hmm. And sort of switching gears just a hair, thinking about the actual company. Like I mentioned a little earlier, you guys have been around for quite a while. You are not sort of a newer entrant into the space, and you've raised quite a handful of VC money. Mm -hmm. And so I'm interested, knowing that when you guys got started, obviously, you went through the huge bull market. We are in a very different market now. Looking back on it, would you have raised, had the same relationship with venture capital, you think, if you were to start the company today? Or do you have any sort of regrets or sort of you're kind of happy with what you did? Yeah, just kind of think of you could go back. Would you use VC differently?
2: That's a very good question. I will say I have no regrets. We've very thoughtfully raised capital from some of the best partners in the business, whether you're talking about IA Ventures, Felice's Ventures, Andreessen Horowitz, Iconic Ventures, Tiger, you know We've very thoughtfully constructed our board, very thoughtfully constructed our cap table to bring together investors that understand and appreciate what Arif and I were talking about when we started this, which was namely, we said, if we do this right, if we take this full-stack approach and verticalize healthcare and really drive digital transformation in healthcare in service of improving patient outcomes and enabling our partners to be smarter, better, faster, more efficient— with the ways that they engage patients effectively, this is not one of those companies that you build for two years and you sell it off. Right. This is not one of those companies where you're trying to make a fast buck, right? This is one of those companies that's, A, very mission-inspired. Everything that we do, we our first lens is, is this mission aligned? And then B... We knew this would require massive investment. And that's part of the reason why we took the fundraising tack that we did. And then C, we knew this was going to be a 10, 20 year thesis that we would have to see play out, that hopefully we'd have the opportunity to lead Komodo through. But this isn't one of those, you know, opportunities where you create some B2C application and then, you know, sell it for a billion dollars right. with 13 people in your, you know, in your basement. This was one of those things where we said, we would have to really bring partners to the table that had an appreciation for just how difficult the journey would be and that would stay with us over the course of you know building out komodo taking komodo's capabilities into all these different markets And would be essentially patient capital as we executed on our mission.
0: Mm -hmm. And speaking of your co-founder, since we haven't chatted about him too much yet, knowing that you guys are both still involved in the company in sort of slightly different capacities, maybe if you want to talk about how you guys have sort of divided the work thus far or sort of how you've played to each other's strengths and a little bit about how you chose the current leadership structure that you guys do have.
2: Yeah, that's a fantastic question. And it's something that a lot of our new dragons ask of us. And so it's very easy for me to answer this. You know, it's very interesting. People tend to lean in where their passions are, right? Mm -hmm. And so when I think about Arif, he's an MD by training. He's absolutely brilliant. He's a great human being. He has four degrees from Harvard. Wow. Um, And he loves when I share that with people. I would say more importantly, because of his deep, there's you start with domain expertise, and then you extend that with intellectual curiosity into you know a specific set of disciplines. And so as a result of his expertise and interests and curiosity, he tends to lean in more on data, on product, on engineering. On my side, I tend to lean in more on sales, marketing, and people. And then when you think about a lot of the teams that support driving Komodo's growth, whether it be finance, whether it be legal, whether it be operations, those are teams that we tend to have shared responsibility and oversight over. Mm -hmm. But in a general kind of approach, that's the way we've divided and conquered. And I would say what's really exciting as well is we oftentimes attack problems with very different approaches. Mm. But what that allows us to do is really debate different ideas and points of view very rigorously with our executive team. And I think the organization is stronger and better for that discourse.
1: Mm. How did you and your co-founder meet?
2: Definitely. (laughs) I think what's cool is in healthcare, in healthcare consulting, the circles are fairly small and fairly overlapping. And so what was really nice was we had a number of mutual friends repeatedly say, and this is completely unsolicited, hey, at some point, you should be web or say to me, hey, at some point, you really need to talk to Arif. And after a couple of these, I just said to one of the folks, I said, you reported directly into Arif, you know, you should help me broker that introduction, because you're like the fifth or sixth person in the last 18 months to say this to me. And we were introduced through virtual friends, we ended up meeting up together and just talking about our experiences, things we were doing. I was very interested in what he had done professionally at McKinsey the kinds of projects that he had done across you know some of the leading Fortune 100 Fortune 500 institutions you know across healthcare he was very interested in a lot of the work I had done plus the fact that I had made the transition already from consulting into health tech and into raising venture capital and all of that and so it was really exciting when the two of us started talking about what's missing in healthcare what's missing in health tech and what is you know the big idea that can really help transform healthcare and really capitalize on all of these emerging software and technology capabilities in service of driving improved patient outcomes, we started circling around this idea very quickly, very early. And I think we both came to the realization that, you know, this is very important work that needs to be done. And whether we're successful or not, this is something that we were both very excited about. And so that really served to get us moving on co-founding Komodo.
0: That's so interesting. You love to hear that, that it's like people were like, you guys should really meet. I think you get along. And you're like, not only did we get along, we're going to launch a company together. Yeah, exactly. Like, those people are probably like, oh, I don't know if that's what we <laughs> meant when we said you should meet.
2: Well, now we get questions around like, hey, do I get a finder's fee for in- introducing the two of you? Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> Something that I've been thinking about, especially when you look at companies like this and people who are so passionate about subjects like this, like you are. Growing up, what, of course, what inspired you to, did you always want to be an entrepreneur, but really, did you always want to go into healthcare specifically? Like, was there something personal or like what happened that kind of led you down this road?
2: Yeah, I'll start by saying, as the product of first generation immigrants, you know, I grew up, we didn't have a lot. This is not a story unique to me, but I always, you know, I I think Mark Cuban said it, you know, one of the greatest gifts his parents gave him was the gift of hunger. I always had the hunger, you know, I started in sixth grade, I had a paper route, I used that paper route to buy every magazine I could get my hands on that was around entrepreneurship or business, whether it be Kiplingers, money, fortune, Forbes, I bought every magazine out there. And I read them religiously, voraciously. And one of the things that always struck me was I'd be analyzing, you know, the list of the world's richest, you know, and you'd look at it and there was always the old money, you know, that had the generational wealth, there were the finance folks, there were the energy folks. In later years, there were the technology leaders. But one common thread that I always was inspired by was the entrepreneurs, because for a lot of them, you have these atypical backgrounds, you have these non-traditional paths, and it was just individuals finding pain points, finding pain points that inspired them and where they said, I think I have a solution. And there's just being relentless in their pursuit of those opportunities, whether it be you know Howard Schultz or Sir Richard Branson or Mark Cuban or Oprah they all kind of said you know I don't have anything I have no natural advantages over any other entrepreneur I just think this is an opportunity I think I have an opportunity to address you know that need and I'm going to just chase it relentlessly and so from a very early beginning I've always said you know I'm going to start my own business And I was just, I feel very privileged to be in a position where I not only got to live out my entrepreneurial dream, but I also got to pair it with a mission, a company that's working on something this important where we can make this big of a difference. I think it's very rare to kind of have, you know, an opportunity that meets at the intersection of really important mission-driven work, plus an opportunity to do something really big and transformative, plus an opportunity that has a really logical, sound business model that addresses the needs of the customers and partners that you work with. You put all of that together. And I just feel really privileged to have had this opportunity and had the chance to work on this really, I think it's the problem of a lifetime with someone as smart and as equally passionate as Mm Arif.
0: And knowing there are always going to be bumps in the road sort of as you're building a company and kind of going toward that end goal and mission, I know looking through some of the history of the company thus far, you guys have had to have layoffs and come back from a certain different things. Obviously, we already mentioned the market has changed significantly since you guys got started both in good and bad ways. And so thinking about some of those challenges, how do you guys feel like you've come beyond them? And been able to kind of keep going, keep growing in the face of some both internal, but also, you know, macro challenges as well.
2: Yeah, I would say, you know, nobody operates their business in a vacuum. And the first time we did um, one of our restructurings was at the start of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. I think the reality is nobody knew what was going to happen, right? I was sitting at home with my family working remotely. I went from seeing, you know, 150 to 200 dragons every single day to being isolated in my home and not knowing what was going to happen to the U.S., the world, you know, not knowing what was going to happen to Komodo. And so I think it was at the time a responsible decision to kind of say, hey, how do we ensure that we can sustain ourselves through a period of uncertainty where no one knows how long that's going to last? Right. That I, I compare and contrast that with the restructuring that we did in December. I think one of the things we've always prided ourselves on is making big bets. And I think in an environment where, again, macro uncertainty, capital markets being frozen, the IPO markets being essentially locked up for the foreseeable future, that was another example where we said, okay, we don't know what's going to happen outside of the four walls of Komodo. However, one of the things that we can do is say, what are the areas where we know it's really important for us to continue to invest in Komodo's growth, in Komodo's evolution? And how do we double down on those parts while also acknowledging that in an environment of continued macro uncertainty, you know, capital is not going to be, you know, people say, oh, capital was free for about 10 years. It wasn't free. <laughs> right. But at the same time, it wasn't as onerous to raise capital as it's clearly going to be in the coming months and years. And so we said, okay, in this, shifted macro context? How do we ensure that we have the capital and resources to really double down on the areas where we're going to, you know, really invest in the big bets, and then essentially free up some of that capital through some light restructuring in other parts of the business. And so that's kind of the approach that we took. But we are still massively focused on growth, we're still going to add over 100 new dragons into the organization this calendar year. And so what you see is, rather than, um, you know, we view it as reinvestment into the parts of the business that we know will be critical to our success moving forward, and then kind of staving off investment in parts of the business that will either grow slower, or be less critical to the near term success of the business in the coming 12 to 24 to 36 months.
0: And maybe taking a second to wrap up here on one last question about the future, since you just mentioned sort of You were just talking about the light restructuring and sort of getting the company set up for the next 12, 36, 24 months with this funding environment. But I'm thinking further down the road, 5, 10 years from now, what are you guys thinking about? What do you kind of hope Komodo can become in the next decade, let's say?
2: Fantastic. When I look at the evolution of the company, we went from a single application that was really designed to prove out that full stack thesis to then launching applications number two, three, four, and now we have 12 plus different applications atop the stack. In the last 12 to 24 months, what you saw was us developing and externalizing our platform capabilities. So now third-party developers can develop atop all of the infrastructure that we've spent eight and a half years building and investing into and really leveraging all of the technology advancements that we've applied to the stack to enable our partners to be faster, better in you know, testing feasibility on their product ideas, building them out, and then commercializing them. As we look to the future, this vision, this approach is resonating so much in market that it's really about us just making sure more and more partners understand that there's a better way. Instead of the old way of saying, you know, I'm going to go try to be my own data strategist and source data from all these different principles, and then instead of trying to be my own in-house architect, Building out my data lake, building out my data warehouse capabilities, hiring all these SIs and consultants to put it all together for me and analyze it. And then instead of hiring consultancies to come in and assess what's happening to my business, you know, what's possible in these different disease areas, how can I build new products? What we said was, you know, come to be a part of the Komodo ecosystem, build your capabilities directly atop our platform, and accelerate your own ability to understand patient costs, patient outcomes, accelerate your own ability to kind of build and commercialize new products that are relevant for reducing disease burden. And I think for us, it's really driving that vision, driving this kind of software first approach into all these different markets that are really in many instances, unaware that there's an alternative, unaware that there's a better way to do things, Mm -hmm. unaware that there's a more effective, efficient way to achieve their business outcomes.
0: Well, perfect. Well, I think that's a happy note to wrap on. So thank you so much for coming on the show, Webb. This has been a pleasure and definitely would love to visit a healthcare provider down the road that actually seems like they have a good (laughs) idea of what's going on everywhere else.
2: (laughs) Thank you so much, Becca, for having me and appreciate the opportunity to speak more about um, what we're doing here at Komodo Health.
0: Well, Don, that was our conversation with Webb. What did you think? Very interesting company. Uh,
1: what were your thoughts?
0: You know, I like the idea of this company a lot. I definitely can see the need for this because it's definitely annoying when you go to, say, a newer doctor or a specialist or something. And it's like, even if you're recommended by a healthcare professional to go, they like have no information about you. So I definitely can like see what they need and the use cases for this. But I walk away feeling a little light on the details. Like, I'm not 100% sure exactly how this works. And if it's one of those kind of things where the only way it can be successful is really if everyone signs on, which, like, those kind of business models always make me a little nervous because if they don't, then it's kind of like, well you're not getting the
1: complete view yeah i know cuz i mean one thing is like a comprehensive view of the us healthcare system how does one get a comprehensive view of the entire us health system mm-hmm. it seems like even the government at times doesn't have a comprehensive view of what is happening oh i know and then presenting that to patients and people i guess this is something i would like to see in action and i'm trying to model it in my head on how it works i don't know how the network and everything works but yeah you're right about the the details yeah One thing I did think was fun about this company is the founder story, though.
0: Like the fact that Webb and his founder were introduced through mutual friends who just like thought they would get along is so funny for me to think about that they like were like, we got along so well, we decided to actually launch a company.
1: I know, right? Which, like,
0: I'm like, what did those mutual friends think? Like, they were like, oh, I thought this would be a guy you'd like meet up with and play golf. And it's like, no, now you're literally quitting your jobs and starting a company. They're like,
1: you guys were supposed to be brunch buddies and now you guys are (laughs) starting a company together. Right.
0: But I mean, hey, if you get along with someone that well and you're that passionate about an idea, like that's the
1: kind of founding team like you want, I guess. So not a bad thing, even though it's kind of weird path. Yeah. And it seems to be working quite well. They get along and the founding story was really interesting. And I kind of like how he spoke about his motivations for wanting to do really well and be really successful Mm -hmm. and kind of taking what he learned from consulting Which, I mean, people have varying views on consulting. But no, I mean, like a lot of people talk about consulting as a place where you go to kind of figure out what you want to do next. And so it's always really amazing to see like the thinkers that come out of an industry like that.
0: Yeah. And so that's the kind of people you want in consulting when you think about the end of the day. Like someone who has these kind of big ideas, like you don't want to work with a consultant who's like, okay, let's increase your bottom line by 1%. Like it's like you want the people to take the big swing. So I guess it's not super surprising for someone in the consulting field to, like, make the leap to being a startup founder with their own ideas.
1: No, yeah. I also liked how he was kind of open with the layoffs that the company had to conduct. Mm -hmm. And also how we were able to talk about COVID, which I know people are, like, tired of talking about COVID. But when you're in healthcare, I feel like it's just so interesting to see how they were navigating that time.
0: Mm -hmm. Especially because, like, they were around prior to that. Yeah. And you're totally right. Like, people are so over talking about COVID in a lot of these cases. But personally, I still think it's really interesting the company arc stories who were founded before COVID who work in the healthcare field specifically because it was such a drastic event that changed healthcare literally like as we know it so it's like if you're working in this space and then an event like that like there couldn't have been a bigger event that impacted the healthcare system other than maybe universal healthcare not that that's coming anytime soon unfortunately (laughs) but that was interesting the way he talked about it but I wish he had gone a little bit more into because the layoffs piece was good and like knowing how they like Had those lives 2020 and then kind of like grew back from it and then realized again they needed to make some cuts last year, which is definitely in line with kind of a lot of late stage startups we're seeing. But I wish they talked a little bit more about sort of like how the business changed during COVID, like less so on like the people side, like the softer side of how employees were feeling and stuff and more of like... The logistical stuff. Did they change any strategies? Did they sort of reach out different areas or find new places to focus on and stuff? Cause I'm I'm sure they did. No, yeah. I
1: was I was waiting for that to come and it, it did not come. <laughs> but Yeah. Um, I mean maybe they didn't, but I'd have a hard time believing that was the case. Yeah, agreed. I definitely think this could be
0: if this company ends up being successful and really like mapping everything together, yeah. I think it could be a really good thing that we need in this very fragmented US healthcare system, but yeah, I'm still a little a little skeptical on sort of being able to reach that lofty of a mission just because there's just so many, just like we said before, just so many people who have to buy in.
1: Yeah, do you think, and here's a question for you. Okay, wait, do you think when it comes to the healthcare, do you think that healthcare companies are better off being really broad or that they should focus on like a really niche thing and that's how better impact is made?
0: Ooh, that's such an interesting question because I know I've talked a lot about sort of the niche side of healthcare with people because just with like everyone piling into healthcare in like 2020, like investors, a thing that kept coming up when that funding started to pull back was that a lot of people in the space weren't surprised because if you're a company targeting some niche disease and like niche is a loose word because the majority of medical ailments, things you would need treatment for or the like are decently small. There's small total addressable markets. You're not going to get a billion dollar IPO from a company targeting a rare cancer. Like that doesn't mean it's not a good company. It's not worth backing. Of course it is, but it's not. Some of that stuff is just like not the kind of venture business fundamentals that I think a lot of firms are looking for. So like a company like this more fits the venture model. Yeah. But you're totally right where it's like, I think sometimes some of the smaller stuff because it's more specific ends up making more of a difference.
1: Yeah. It's probably balancing a proper healthcare company suitable for the venture model, and that can also strive to make an impact. Yeah, yeah. no, that's definitely a balance
0: they're gonna have to sort of work to bring together as they continue to build. Found is hosted by myself, TechCrunch senior reporter Becca Skuta, alongside senior reporter Dominic Majori davis Found is produced by Maggie Stamets with editing by Kel. Our illustrator is Bryce Durbin. Found's audience development and social media is managed by Morgan Little, Alyssa Stringer, and Natalie Kreisman. TechCrunch's audio products are managed by Henry Pickovit. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week.